Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have The Happening, starring Mark Wahlberg, Zoe Deschanel, John Leguizamo, and Betty Buckley. Written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Maybe he made it. I don't know. I Maybe can't. I can't. I can't tell. Uh, welcome back to Rice Smile Films. Uh, we're continuing on in this terrible journey of the summer box off or the just summer movie uh, Hall of Shame. Man, Battlefield Earth was an endurance test, and I've had a lot of people tell me. Kudos to you guys for making it through that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what we get after this one. We should we deserve like a parade float after <laughs> reviewing this this film. Right. From 2008, The Happening. We haven't talked about Shyamalan since our very first cask of Rice Mile Films, the right. East Rail 177 trilogy, which is a mixed bag of sorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well but said. I'm excited to talk about him. I'd like to talk about a lot of Shyamalan's other films, but unfortunately, today we're talking about The Happening. <laughs> I was kind of excited when this came out. I had kind of followed the production of this first R-rated film, and I was like, oh, okay, and like, what's the premise? Okay, that's kind of interesting I until I saw it. I was kind of on board with this up until I saw the film. <laughs> so the trailer for Unbreakable is one that I love to talk about because the original one is just basically the wreckage of a train. And then the story would be, you would think, from the trailer, how did it get there or what was on the train or what left this this vehicle in that state happening did the same thing too for me. And that was the hint of the demise of countless numbers of humans. And the story is going to unfold to help you figure out how you can be in such irresponsibility or lack of control of yourself that would lead you to your own demise. Here's the key word Mm -hmm. willingly. Like I'll never forget the trailer, which is those guys falling off the skyscraper or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And that shot in that is amazing because they are so relaxed the way they fall. Mm -hmm. You would think if you're falling, you'd tighten up and it'd be rigid. And these are like flowing, loose, Mm -hmm. comfortable. And then of course the bit with the lawnmower and we can get into all those deaths going, but like (laughs) it set it up really interestingly. That, That is a good trailer actually. And then, you know, like Mark Wahlberg, I like Mark Wahlberg. Mm hmm. I like John Leguizamo a lot. Mm-hmm. Zoe Deschanel. We'll we'll see. I mean, I lo- there are things I really like her in. This is not a good film for her, particularly in my opinion. This isn't a good movie for anybody, <laughs> right? Right. I just there's yeah. We'll get into her as we go through this. But yeah, it was R rated. Kind of like actually looks like horror. Maybe not quite such suspense. Mm-hmm. But that's where. That's where the good ended. That's where the good. Everything before you walked into the theater and paid ten dollars for your ticket. But before the, we, go ahead, yeah. yeah, we'll get into all of that, yeah. but let's have some more of this Weller antique one Oh seven. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty good stuff. Sure is. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and get, get this going and we'll start with our flight question. Okay, so talking about M. Night Shyamalan here for the first time in like 70 episodes, we just watched a a little video on YouTube on the YouTube channel Studio Binder. It's a very fascinating channel if you want to know the ins and outs of like 
filmmaking and like learning about a director's craft. They have a whole episode on Shyamalan and how he makes movies and approaches story, cinematography, color, editing, etc. So Matt, like, I just want to kind of have maybe not like just like what's your favorite, but like just have a back and forth conversation with you in this regard of those elements that Shyamalan's really good at. Like, what's what's one that always sticks out to you in terms of like his craft of like what he uses? When I was brought up in the screenwriting industry, what I was taught was get in late, get out early. Mm -hmm. And he does not adhere to that same rule. Mm -hmm. We want almost like staccato-like events as we're editing this film that allow the viewer to move from location to location. And one of the more noticeable pieces of a Shemilan film is how comfortable he is taking his time. Sure. I don't know if that's my number one crowning achievement for his films, but it's very recognizable Mm -hmm. and it's done for technique. Uh, I think actors like to be in those kind of films because it does highlight their ability to perform their craft. Mm -hmm. It's more theatrical, certainly stage acting almost. Mm -hmm. And then don't you think it also draws out like he's not going to do a musical or a comedy. Like all his stuff is some version of thriller. Even his action is thriller. Sure. So what you do then is you have a slow burning long fuse. We've talked about that a lot Mm -hmm. and you don't know when the scene's going to end. Like you can tell in some movies, like you can feel the rise and the quick and the fall and like him, you don't know. Mm -hmm. And then even when it's over, sometimes he's not afraid to show the effects of it afterwards. Let's talk about one thing real quick and then I'll let you run with this for a minute. In that video that we watched, they were doing the no shooting friends, Joseph scene from unbreakable. Mm -hmm. That scene plays out in the movie in two really tough, like hard to watch minutes, but wildly entertaining. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's fantastic about that is after the situation has been dealt with, Mm -hmm. he sticks around for another 15 seconds, letting you experience what the characters Mm -hmm. are feeling post. Remember they all slumped down to the ground um, and you see the effects of this really heightened moment on screen. Mm Mm-hmm. So that would be one thing that certainly sticks out for me is no adherence to get in late, get out early. It's I'm going to take my time because I know what I'm doing. Yeah, and I'm going to kind of create tension amongst the space here. The He's really aware of his spatial framing and his his set. The other, the other example where that's really good too is that scene in Signs where uh, Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix are on the couch. Oh, yeah. Having a very long, almost like Tarantino-length conversation about what do you see in those lights up there. And Joaquin Phoenix tells this ridiculous story of one drunken night and he almost got puked on. Mm-hmm. But it plays so much into later in the movie that you you kind of you kind of roll with it a little bit. I that that's a great scene. I like that one. Back to allowing the scene to I do love that scene too. Mm-hmm. And th- there's so much that happens in the quiet space, action wise, mm-hmm. on scene or on set, on camera, mm-hmm. in in camera, my goodness between Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix in that film. Mm-hmm. Most of that film is watching the two of them come to terms with the crisis of faith that he's going through Mel Gibson Graham, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go to split for a minute. Okay. One of the selling points of that movie, cause let's be frank about where his career was when that yeah. movie was created, concocted yeah. with, with the dogs at that point down, mm-hmm. certainly mm-hmm. not anywhere near the heightened sight of his and mostly through just kind of, Bad choices and bad films like today, like what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> like today's full He just episode. made some bad choices. Exactly. But I think one of the things that sold that movie to 
um, the characters involved was the allowance of Kevin Wendell Crumb as a character playing, I think we see four or five other characters in that film, and the chops that they would allow the actors to experience that as. Mm -hmm. So when he shows up, I forget what the the spinster woman is in that. Oh, Patricia. There you go. Yeah. When Patricia shows up and he's in that red turtleneck with the dress mm -hmm. and the you know, the necklace and that, well, she's very deliberate. Mm -hmm. and she's also a very deliberate character. Yeah. But James McAvoy probably was pitched like, "Hey, man, do you want to make a Shemilan film?" And he might have been like, Ooh, "Hell no!" And <laughs> I don't. I got a Professor X thing going over here that sounds better than that. Um, they said, maybe you should take a look at the script. Mm -hmm. And there's enough space. What I mean is there's enough spades on enough space on the page to let him really showcase his wares because he plays each one of those 50 different personalities. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. That's yeah. one of the more underrated acting performances in modern well, cinema. He's masterful. Opinion. That's really good. Do you see that in his films too? Like he allows, he, he trusts his actors? <clears throat> I think so. Especially Bruce Willis like, too, huh? Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people did that with like Bruce, Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis twice, especially around that time too. Yeah. Uh, definitely Mel Gibson, but it was like right after, before he went off the rails. Yeah. Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. yeah he, he gives actors a, a, a decent kind of space to kind of play around with the one I'm going to kind of take and kind of piggyback and kind of stay with split. I'm glad this video really kind of dived into the production design because I'm always enamored by the looks of his films are very domesticated, but a lot of basements, whether it's six sense or unbreakable. And we've talked signs, we've talked to, the village <laughs> we've talked about that before but i like how the video broke down uh the different personalities in the the captive room in split designed three different ways to reflect different personalities of who was building it that day and that's a detail that if you're not paying you're not going to catch on that but it's also apparent to me too even in in something like glass which was a very i guess troubling film for us in a few ways and there was things to like about it but the way that asylum's kind of decorated to kind of showcase the Dr. hero Stable. and the villain and the the different kind of his room had like pipes to like spray water and like they're all sparsely decorated differently and i've always really kind of appreciated especially that farm set in signs because that's essentially where you stay for a majority of that film and it feels safe it feels domesticated and the fact that we see the alien invasion not from the outside in but from the in to the outside, I think is a very interesting approach to making a movie like that. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Color's an interesting one too, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the train sequence in Unbreakable for a minute, train station mm -hmm. sequence, when he goes there. If that movie's about a man just trying to fit in, knowing that he's different, mm -hmm. and the theory is as our characters become more emboldened in their principled character traits, their colors become more vibrant, which I buy. Then Bruce Willis in the train station sequence, which is in that security poncho, yeah. standing there with his arms outstretched, Christ-like, and people walking by. And then as he sees them, their colors vibrantly illuminated in like smash cuts to backstory. Mm -hmm. That's all done in color. Yep. Still, all the all, they're all drab, muted colors except for the villain, mm -hmm. who's in green or purple, or I think there's a yellow, yellow yeah, that one guy. orange. Mm -hmm. Um it's not black and white, but it might as well be with color yeah. smashed into it. Mm -hmm. And that to me at a place in my life when I was a lot younger, that really stuck out to me as man, he's doing something that's very different in modern cinema here. 
And to hear them explain it that way, whether it's the red and six cents or um, like you talked about in glass, mm-hmm. Dr. Staples laboratory, that's kind of pinkish. Mm-hmm. Think about like, did you notice the floor reflects in that? Mm-hmm. And the reflection of the three characters on the floor is even more muted than it is when they are sitting there exactly. in person. So like mm-hmm. it's very smartly done, but here's the thing. Yeah. Subtly. Yeah. No, yeah, like a lot of those things that of just about everything we've mentioned, man, if you blink or you're just kind of there just to watch them, you're going to miss a lot of that stuff. But there's like just so much subtext built in set, in story, color, how things are lit, how things are shot. And I I think that's, that's like what we mentioned in that first cast was when he's good, he's good. And when he's, he's bad, you get the film we're going to talk about right now. <laughs> right. All right, Matt, let's jump right into it. That was a fun. That was a fun conversation. Yeah, it was. So let's get to this uh, this chore and our review breakdown this of the chore. happening. This chore. Look, I don't know if you guys have heard about this article in the New York Times about honeybees vanishing. Well, apparently, honeybees are disappearing all over the country. Tens of millions of them just disappearing. There's no bodies, no sign of them. They're just mysteriously gone. It's scary, huh? All right, let's hear some theories about why this might be happening. Okay, Mark Wahlberg, you have to turn in your Screen Actors Guild card. <laughs> hmm. There's let's, two, let's, go two ahead. things that Hollywood missed, like depictions on screen and fictitious, fictitious depictions on screen is not something that I choose to kind of take issue with. But there is no greater miss in Hollywood than depicting teens mm-hmm. and teachers. <laughs> teachers, yeah. whether it's 187 or insert any teacher movie it's not i'm telling everyone it's not anything like that you're a terrible teacher if you give your class enough backstory to explain honeybees have disappeared in three sentences and then immediately pose all right what do you got any human needs a moment or two to process it consider your kids in class not giving a rat's ass about honeybees to begin with unless they are you know, honeybee crusade, honeybee crusade team or something. Inter- interning at the local beekeeper shop. Right. You know what I mean? And then wooden is wooden the right word for Mark Wahlberg in this? Wooden? Do you like wooden? No, I think I like contrived. Because it's not wooden. It's a very involved performance, but it's, it's almost too much. It, he almost goes too much to the left side when it should be more in the middle and more going this way. Because let's start with the beginning of the film. We have this, we start in Central Park with these people all freezing and just mass suicide. And this woman takes her chopstick bobby pin thing in her hair and just pierces her throat. Cut to construction site. I got to tell you this too, man. When the first guy fell, I can't even remember his name. Those people that were like right there uh, that saw him. Pretty calm, just watching a man just plummet to his death. <laughs> like, yeah. I would be like, oh, my God. What happened? Right. He's like, what? Call call, call security. They're, they're all way too calm. And then as they all start coming, that scene in the trailer that you discussed, all kind of very lethargic, like jumping off. And there's like at least seven or eight of them. And it's just in rapid succession. To cut from just mass suicide to Mark Wahlberg's like, interesting delivery of this line it just sounds weird coming out of his his mouth and i wonder if am i not buying him as a teacher because i think that's it because i know what types of characters he's played before and just he's not stumbling over the words they just sound weird coming out of him 
Okay, so maybe this will help us out. Okay. What is his age as a teacher in this film? How old is Mark Wahlberg's teacher age in this movie? 40. You think he's 40? About 40. Because he acts like a 23-year-old to me in this film for someone who might be 40. There you go. I think one of the things that was discussed about Shemilan in that video we're watching is the importance of family. And the internal conflict in Mark Wahlberg's character has to do with him making peace with Zoe Deschanel, who seems she's a uh, Alma, about ready to launch into an affair with some guy over Teramisu. And a lot of that revolves around what I think we're supposed to believe if you go to the very end of the film, it gives closure in this space. So I think we're supposed to believe that they're struggling or we're struggling to find a paternal place in this family for Mark Wahlberg. Like he's not yet ready to be a dad. If you think about that, and I think that's what the message of him, his internal character arc is, that mostly is not played out in the film. He's the one that they turn to. He mostly de- delivers pretty effectively. And what I would argue is if the problem between Alma and um, what's Mark, what's his Elliot. name? Yeah, Alma and Elliot is trying to figure out where they fit in the hierarchy of roles in the family. She's a much worse mother in this film than he is pseudo father. I mean, they end up having to take John Leguizamo's kid under their wing after he kills himself. They like practically. <laughs> they leave her all over the place. They let her sleep in the car. Well, there's a scene at the end when they all when they walk out into the spores, yeah. and they take her with her. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Why what? you Why you willingly dragging her out here to 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 kill her? Right. Yeah, I didn't get that. Right. And so. <sighs> That's that's a real problem. That shouldn't even be in the film. Yeah. The closure at the end of the film where we see she's pregnant doesn't matter. Like, no one cares. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about their relationship. They have zero chemistry together. And she can have chemistry with people. See Jim Carrey or Joseph Gordon-Levitt off the top of my head. I like Zoe Deschanel. This is just, like, her line delivery, too, is just so... Everyone's just so confused, it seems like. And, I, and maybe they're just reacting to, to the scenes, but... When we talk about bad movies versus like think of the scenes and signs that are the sixth sense that promote emotional gravity and weight that are supposed to be really serious. And then you and listen to the to the I don't know if you guys have heard about the honeybees that have been uh, disappearing all over the world. It's just like Right. <laughs> what's he doing? That moment when Mark Wahlberg admits that he tried to roll on the pharmacist at Walgreens and the cough syrup to Zo- to Alma. No, don't wait. I'll, I'll, I'll play that clip later. I want to talk about that when we get there because her reaction to me is... First of all, that's... A strange admission of she knows how stupid this movie is at this point. You can <laughs> see it in her. She's like, I think she's crying in that because she can't believe that she is actually in the middle of making this movie at that time. Yeah. So let's... Let's hit rewind for one second because I want to ask you a question. Okay. Look, obviously we don't like this movie. It's the whole point of this cast. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not yeah. trying to like be sneaky or clandestine about this. Yeah. If you take the opening sequence in yes. Central Park uh-huh. and the way people freeze and that strange conversation that the two girls have on the bench and look at that chopstick ear hair thing go into that girl's neck. Yeah, that's okay. If you just do that. Yeah, that's good. Is that an okay scene? Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, so let me ask you another one. Okay. If you take just the construction site with the people falling off, don't like, yeah, that's good too. Okay. So let's accept the reaction to it. Right. Yeah, fair. Yeah. And then let's do the third one, okay. which is Mark Wahlberg in the classroom, 
as a teacher. That one's terrible, right? So in one-offs, this is what's weird about this film. Well, okay, well, I, I want you to continue with that. But even when that scene ends and like the assistant principal walks in, he does some like weird sidle against the wall thing to turn off the light. Yes, like he's playing around like some game. Like he's tw- like he's like he's a ten year old. Yeah, that's weird. Okay, so if he's immature and that's why he can't be dad, then yeah. I guess we're getting that. But that's not what the movie does. And to the larger whole. Sometimes the individual scenes in this movie, I think, really do work. There's a couple moments I'm like, that was actually pretty solid. Mm -hmm. But when you string it all together, the scenes that are really bad, like your honeybee bit here, your honeybee (laughs) lesson, that becomes even worse. And the scenes that did work in whatever shape they did are so watered down because they don't make any logical sense to the film. Well, that's that's just a problem with tone. You can't go from... Suicide by chopstick to to, <laughs> to 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 mass suicide jumping off a building to honeybee bit. Like you're not setting we don't know how we're supposed to feel about the film. Are we supposed to take this seriously? Are right. we supposed to be laughing at our lead character because he's such a doof? And that, that's a problem. That's I think that's why later on when, when we get more of these lines here, and don't worry, trust me, there's a lot of Mark Wahlberg in in this. Uh I don't know how we're supposed to feel. If it's a comedy, make it as a comedy then. Right. And do everything like that, like a farce. I didn't see the Zucker brothers making this film. This isn't Airplane. This is Shyamalan. This is supposed to be a thriller or a horror. I'm supposed to be frightened. I shouldn't be laughing at my leads. Yeah, and yet you go into the, yeah, that, that, yeah, tiramisu, but this whole subplot of this guy that keeps calling Joey. Her, yeah, Joey. And this kind of just, this really doesn't play into anything uh, because... She tells him, and then he does that ridiculous pharmacist bit, only to kind of, and then they have trouble talking. So we're supposed to assume that these guys are having a hard trouble communicating, and, it, and if it weren't for this event bringing them together, and then I have a very important question to ask you once we get to the end because of kind of how it all wraps up. But it's just mass pandemonium at this point. People just reacting, and it's crowd scenes, and we got to get out of out of Philly. We got to like get into the country. They think it's terrorists. <laughs> They're all over the place. I was thinking about this after we finished Battlefield Earth last weekend. And I was just sort of pondering, is it a valid critical point to nitpick the relationship that the director builds with the audience in a film? Because, and I don't even know how I got there in my mind, but Paranormal Activity 3 was in my mind. Okay. Okay. And that movie was such a betrayal of the trust between director and audience, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yep. I wonder if this and those three individual scenes we just spoke about fit into that same line of thinking. If you're going to set it up with a crazy mass suicide bit, follow it up with, an, in the context of the film, an inconsequential derivation on honeybees that has nothing to do with anything unless you want to try to stretch out mother nature and in the communicating fuck that yeah um because that's that's a reach yep and then follow it with the construction site the one thing that could have happened in the scene where he's teaching that stupid lesson on honeybees is we could have seen how poorly equipped mark Wahlberg is to tackle this monumental task of mother nature turning on mankind Jesse, that is such a huge writing task Mm -hmm. to pull that off. Or we could just, in that scene, just kind of prove that he's a bad teacher 
And throughout this film, he takes some form of a, a leadership role with the groups he ends up with. Like if kids are sleeping and he's just letting them or yeah. chaos is going on in class and he's just like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That you beat me to it. Yeah. That'd be better. Much better. Yeah. Because it's almost like he cares, but in the middle of this typhoon or hurricane he or tornado, he cares about like a sparrow fart. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. When he, Cause it comes out of like, it, it makes him seem stupid. And maybe Mark Wahlberg's a smart guy, but when he's reading this dialogue, man, I was like, man, this like this is like I wouldn't I wouldn't learn anything from this teacher. And then that whole bit with the kid that is like daydreaming, and he calls him out on his looks and his whole as you grow up, your ears and nose don't stop growing. So be happy that you're handsome now, because one day you're gonna look like a dump truck and all whatever, like whatever all that is. Yeah, that's just filler. <laughs> Are we supposed to do, to take from that that Mark Wahlberg? Is so and like if he's really a great scientist, yeah, he wouldn't be teaching high school science. He'd be like in a lab, like doing hard, hard science. Yeah. Instead, he's got like the scientific method as his superpower to sort of decode Mother Nature turning on man, and that is just an impossible. Like the suspension of disbelief, and goes back to what I was saying earlier. The suspension <clears throat> of disbelief is so vast that the the relationship between director and trust from audience is shot six minutes into this film. Just imagine Mel Gibson maybe in this part instead of Mark Wahlberg. It just, his delivery, just kind of think of his voice and how he delivers lines. He might be a little better to handle a role like this. I could probably play this role better than Mark Wahlberg. It's cast terribly. Yeah. None, Betty Buckley might maybe pull it off his crazy I thought John Leguizamo was pretty good, but like he's out of the film before you know it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get on the road with these interesting characters. So, like I said, mass pandemonium, mass panic. We got to get out of Philly. So they get on the train, unbreakable train probably. <laughs> mm-hmm. This film was smart. It would have, like they would have given some Easter egg to like kind of show Easter 177 or something, but no, <laughs> you can't give this film that much credit. Yeah. So we get on the road and everyone's just getting spatterings of information like all over the place. So John Luguizamo, I can't even remember his character's name, but he has a daughter. I think her name is Jessica. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jess, yeah. Yeah, and they're waiting. The wife didn't make it to the train station. So we they're waiting for the wife. So they end up in Potunk County, or like wherever, uh, Pennsylvania, and we, we, we get this. Sir, train service has been discontinued. This will be the last stop for all passengers. Oh, hey. What do you mean? Where are we? Filbert, Pennsylvania. Filbert? <laughs> Does anybody know where that is? But why are you giving me one useless piece of information at a time? What's going on? Hey, why would you just stop? You can't just leave us here. Sir, we lost contact. With whom? Everyone. <laughs> Everyone? like, Mark, you need to act surprised that they stopped the train here. And it sounds the same. It sounds the same as the honeybees. Like, him getting excited but not angry is just the same is the same emotion as him just delivering the lecture. Yeah, this sort of wimpy probing that we saw in the classroom, he's delivering with the same pantameter in this. Just, <clears throat> well, guys, look, I'm, I need an answer right now. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I might stamp my foot. Mm-hmm. And that answer from the guy, we've lost contact with 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 whom? Mm-hmm. Everyone. 
is such a stupid <laughs> that does nothing to further the plot. That's a bad line, yeah, because it's not followed up. We we don't know what that means. And all we know is that this area is affected by something. And in fact, they haven't lost contact with everyone because people are using their cell phones left and right in the middle of that field. Yeah, and they go to that diner and they're watching the news. So bullshit. No, you haven't. Yeah. The CB may not work, but everything else is still working, dude. All right, I got to share with you the first time I watched this. So this came out 2008. I had just graduated high school. So like that summer was just like legendary for like hidden miss films, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and then this. And then you had like Tropic Thunder, which I love, and like The Dark Knight. Like it was like it's such a weird summer for film. No kidding. Uh, This came out June 13th, 2008. It was a Friday the 13th. It came out the same day as the Edward Norton Hulk. So I remember my friends and I, because we would always go to these things opening night. And I was like, okay, like we, we have to pick. We can't see Hulk and the happening. Like we need to pick which one we're going first. So like we're going happening first. Shyamalan. Up to this point, I'm still kind of like, I'm still kind of on board. I'm like, maybe this is just an interesting directorial or acting choice. Maybe it's going to straighten itself out. This is where I totally just kind of like went, oh my God. It's the scene. And when they're watching the, I think so on someone's cell phone, at the Philadelphia or the Bronx Zoo of this zoo guy just letting like the lions like eat him. And I'm like, it was like borderline laughable. It sure was. It's like he has jelly arms that just tear off. Like it does not look real. I'm or like, good. Th- I'm like, this is what we signed up for. This is the R rating. We're getting some guy getting CGI, CGI arms ripped off by lions. That's the R. Cause there's no offensive language. There's no F words in this film. No, just violence. Cartoony violence. Yeah, he's right. <laughs> yeah, the guy that lays in front of the... He starts the, the big lawnmower and then lays in front of it. And you know what? And that seems a, a cheat, too. Uh, I thought... I Watching it yesterday, I thought you saw him get really shredded up, you know, like Fargo style. Mm-hmm. No, it, like, it hits his head, you see a spurt of blood, and then it cuts to a sign on the road, and we just assume the rest. You can't even give me what I want. The hard violence. Yeah. I get you. This should be PG-13. Why is this R? We have to talk about something else, though. Uh-oh. And that's <laughs> June 13th of the year 2008 that you graduated, and your choices at the movie theater that day were <clears throat> Edward Norton's Hulk or Shemilan's The Happening. Mm-hmm. My friend, yeah. to you, that is a... And I guess I had the same choices, and I think the same one won for me, too. Yeah. My God, that is... Six months in the hospital or instant death. They're both are terrible choices. <laughs> what do you want? God, I'll, I'll tell Jesse. you. I'll tell you a funny story Holy about uh, Norton's uh, Hulk because <laughs> okay, somehow I ended up seeing these movies multiple times because uh, yeah. I I went the following week again to see the happening. And I, I told you this was a date before you'd seen the Hulk. Before the Hulk, yeah. Oh, jeez. And I didn't want to tell the date that I had already watched The Happening because you're like, why did you go see this? Because we were planning to see it together. And I was like, okay, I'll go along. And I had to sit through it again the following week. This movie has consumed so much of my money. When I did eventually end up seeing The Hulk, though, I had went to the theater and I had received tickets to, if you show up at this time, we're doing a special screening. We can't tell you what it is, but we're doing like a, like a test screening. So we went and it was at capacity, like we were like pretty close to getting in. So I was like, okay, you didn't make it, but we'll give you a free ticket to go see a movie. And that's when I saw Hulk. But oh, okay. The movie was Zach and Mary make a porno. Oh, sm- and the rumor was, cause we had some other buddies, some mutual friends that actually had gotten in and they said Kevin Smith was there. 
Oh, really? Yeah, it was like a test. It was like, so that, that, that movie came out like later that November. This was June. So I think there were, it was like an early, early cut to kind of test the waters. Oh, wow. Dang it. I know. Dang it. Yeah. I lost three times. Well, yeah, that is a monumentally <laughs> bad two weeks for you. Yeah. You miss out on Zach and Mary. Yeah, exactly. And get a free ticket to the Hulk as your consolation prize. <laughs> board game to the running man. <laughs> the board game to the running man. That's what I got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, geez. So, yeah, it's interesting. So it's at this moment where I'm like, man, I don't know. I was like late because Lady in the Water was like a, a complete miss for me. Okay. So I'm glad you brought that up because we got off the task or topic there and I lost my train of thought. So I want to go back to something you said for a minute. Okay. 2008, you're still on board with him, mm-hmm. and so am I. Okay. The sum total of his work up to the happening is three pretty darn good movies, one that's mediocre and one that's a little bit less than mediocre, and maybe I have one too many films in there. So, so like Sixth Sense is really good, Unbreakable mm-hmm. is really good. We both really like Signs. Um, the Village is Village is, 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 yeah, that's a that's fine film for him. And then lady in the water. Okay. So four out of five films are pretty solid. Mm -hmm. Now lady in the water isn't so egregious that it might be career ending. No, it's just not a good movie. And it's not a good movie for you and me also, because you and I were never going to like that film. See nymph. (laughs) That's a fairy tale movie. That was for little kids. But I didn't know. Like I, I I was at that point I was going to see and kind of finding our tours and wanting to see all the films they made. And like, when you go see a shaman, you kind of know what you're going to get. And when you, Went into that one, you're just like, ah, I guess. Okay, for someone who's as deliberate and crafted in what he does, mm-hmm. this is the trick. If you rein him in, then you lose what makes him really good. Sure. Like, hey, man, we can't have this be a three and a half minute scene. Let's go get in, get out. Yeah. What do you mean the doorknob needs to be red? Where the hell am I going to find a red doorknob? Mm-hmm. What do you mean I need a field of red poppies? Yeah. I don't have a yellow tunic to put on. Like, all that, right? Yep. Oh my God, Shamila Knight, whatever they call him, M. I don't know what they call him on set. Shy. Um, <laughs> what do they call him? Hey, Shy. Hey, Shy. Uh, can we have a little bit more family in here as the guys are rolling there? I was like, oh my God, another scene about family. Right? Like, mm-hmm. if you take that away and put him in check saying, look, this is, t- you've gone too far, you lose that. Yeah. Now, how somebody didn't say, I don't know if an auteur doing a fairy tale is maybe the best idea. However, we could argue that that has been done pretty well in the past. Mm-hmm. See, um, oh, Pan's Labyrinth. See, Pan's Labyrinth. That film's a masterpiece. It's an auteur fairy tale, mm-hmm. so it can be done. Maybe that's a misstep. We're still on board. Sure. Were people so willing to greenlight anything and his cinematic mastery at this point that nobody said, "Oh my God, we have to stop this," or? Did he just middle finger him and say, I'm doing this whether you like it or not? Well, here's the other part of the problem is, okay, so you have Shyamalan and I'm still giving him a benefit of the doubt. R rating, okay, I'm on board. Mark Wahlberg, who up to this point, I'm pretty okay with. Yeah, it had like it had like a good formula into it. It had the, the Tak Fujimoto, the same cinematographer, James Newton Howard, the same composer. It feels like one of his movies that he made early on. Let's play it. Let's do a scene in, in like a real life scene, you and me. Okay. Let's play it out. Okay. I'm a per- like prospective screenmaker and you're a producer with large deep pockets. Okay. So I walk in, you're like, Hey, how you doing? Pleasantries, pleasantries. Hey, I like your stuff. I like your work. I guess I'm Shamilan and your touchstone, your spyglass. Let's do spyglass. Cause Ooh. this pretty much did them in. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I have an idea for a film. Mm-hmm. 
inexplicably across Domesticville in the United States, in terms of tremendous peace, we begin to watch people kill themselves willingly. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. As the movie unfolds. Who's your protagonist? <laughs> the everyman of all everyman. Smart enough, but not too smart. I'm going to use like high school teacher, probably science. Who are you thinking about for this role? Mark Wahlberg. Well, he's pretty good. He's coming off the departed Academy Award nominated role. I think he's got enough chops on screen to where he can carry this. And I think he's got the look. How much money do you need for this? Mm, 45, 50. Okay. Yeah. As we continue our journey across every society, Pleasantville, United States, the questions begin to arise and the people that we gain relationships with start to go one by one the way of the dinosaurs killing themselves until we're basically stranded in the middle of nowhere with nowhere to go at the whims of our protagonist. Yeah. Who's your protagonist again? <laughs> this is the catch. We're never going to know until the end. The protagonist is plants. Now, how he didn't get shown the door yeah. at that moment is one of the greater puzzles in all of cinematic history. Well, it's funny that we just did that role play. It was a lot of fun, actually. Because uh, it wasn't the next question like, wait, did you just say plants? Well, it's kind of like that. So it written this film was written on speculation again, like a lot of his other stuff, but no studio was really interested in making this. <laughs> yeah. So he took copious amounts of notes from all that and kind of crafted it into the happening. I guess Fox took enough of a risk because it wasn't egregiously expensive, except it is in that realm of like not wanting to really make, but he got this like Indian company to like kind of back half of the financing. So that helped out. Yeah. How do you not like totally walk? We don't know it's plants yet. We think it's just like anthrax or some terrorist thing or zombie related, it's viral or so. We don't know what's happening. And then we we meet this couple after this uh, John uh, Leguizamo. What's his character's name? Did we ever find out? Julian. Oh, Julian. Yeah, he gives him the daughter. He's got to go find his wife in Philly. So they get in the car with this hippie couple, and they stop off at their greenhouse. And this is essentially the film. We're packing hot dogs for the road. You know, hot dogs get a bad rap. They got a cool shape. They got protein. You like hot dogs, right? By the way, I think I know what's causing this. You do? It's the plants. They can release chemicals. You like hot dogs, don't you? It's the plants. They can release chemicals. Seven words that ruin the film. At this point, Matt, it was he's, okay. So the guy gets his arms eaten here. I'm like, how long is this movie? Yeah. Yeah, Frank Collison, the the pro hot dog hippie, which, come on. Yeah, well, that's weird dialogue, too. Well, that's Shamilan trying to be Tarantino. Because he does Tarantino, <laughs> exactly. That's literally, exactly. That's always right. But if that guy doesn't have a chance, no one has a chance. Because no. there's no way the nursery owner, that's literally his name. Mm -hmm. He's not given a name. His name in title is nursery owner. Frank Collison is nursery owner. Nursery Look, owner. It's, I mean, it's <laughs> nursery cast owner. Nurse, nursery owner. Right? So... If that guy doesn't have a chance, because there's no way the nursery owner has pissed off Mother Nature, 
So you begin to wonder if, and that that whole conversation is so preposterous. There's like, there's no way that this is plants that is doing this to people. Mm-hmm. Here's a, and this is a personal thing for me too. You know this man versus nature. I hate it <laughs> because the the protagonist is faceless, and essentially, then what you get is a battle of scale that mankind is going to lose every time. Yeah. Like, what do you, how do you punch the wind? It's just like survive long enough. Right. Which is kind of what happens in this movie. Yeah. It, literally, in like in our film lives too, we survived long enough to make it to another film. Yeah. Not, not you for a couple of weeks, but yeah. eventually you did get to see The Dark Knight. Yeah. Um, but that like redeemed like the whole year <laughs> for yeah. me. <laughs> I mean, if it's for every happening, if there's a dark night to follow, like I'll take yeah, that, yeah, to I, that trade off. I'll, I'll take the trade off <laughs> of the <laughs> happening and the, the happening times two and the Hulk. Three, three to one to get a dark night. Oh yeah, I'll make that bet any day. Okay, mm-hmm. see, so you came out ahead. Yeah, and you didn't have to pay for the Hulk either. So for, don't forget that. Yeah, there you go. But okay, man versus nature for me sucks. And then the idea that without any, and you never get it. Mm-hmm. The plants are mad, and the plants via grass and tree leaves have an ability to communicate. And there's that whole bit about some other thing with wasps and bees and like these bees that are some signal is sent out to be attacked by another natural predator. And it's just so eye rolling that no one like the, the botanists and biologists couldn't have hated this anymore. Like it's so stupid. Yeah. And what is this bit? Like, why do I care about hot dogs? No, 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 no. He, it's if the importance of the scene is to explain about the plants, he should have just like came in. He's like, you know, it's about, you know, it's the plants, right? He's like, they can sense emotion and this, and they release spores to, you know, to, for self-defense lead with that. Don't come in with this hot dog bit. So we're like what? 35 minutes into the breakdown and we've had two moments now and there's plenty more where we're talking about the same thing. And that's the tone that the director wants to create, which is here's plants. I've revealed what the bad guy is and I'm going to distract from all that with hot dogs. I'm going to (laughs) take chopstick plunging apparatus and stuff it into my neck. And I'm going to distract from that with a dumb conversation in a knock job knock hack not like bullshit classroom mm-hmm. yeah honeybee lecture yeah so it, the it's all over the place the scales it really of is. trust are so skewed and rocking wildly let's talk about another tarantino kind of ripoff scene here in this fantastic moment i'm gonna give you a math riddle okay and you're gonna tell me the answer what how much how much would you have if I said I would pay you a penny on the first day and then two pennies on the second day and then four pennies on the third day and I just kept doubling it. I did this for a month. How much money would you have at the end of the month? Ten dollars. Hi, hi, hi. Just keep looking at me. Just keep looking at me. Twenty dollars. No, keep going. Keep going. There's a cut in the roof of the Jeep. Mm-hmm. 30. It's 30. It's 30 dollars. Want me to tell you the answer? It's over 10 million dollars. Man, if I'm having a full-on panic attack and I'm in a stressful situation and I'm about to be killed, the last thing I want to do is a fucking math problem. <laughs> That could be a good scene if all of that wasn't happening. 
It's the realization that they're, they've done a good job to cover up the vents and the windows and the air conditioning. And then when he looks up, there's just kind of this little cut in the roof of the Jeep. That's good. Right. The rest of that is nonsense. Right. That's like a scene from Reservoir Dogs. Okay, so here we go again. Mm-hmm. As standalone, maybe that works. The problem is we cut to that and we get another moment that might also really work, which is that Jeep pounding into a tree, them flying through the windshield. And then Julian getting out and sitting on the ground and using a piece of the windshield glass to sever his, cut his own wrists. Mm-hmm. Those kind of actually standing alone in frame as seen work pretty good by themselves, but together it doesn't. And then <clears throat> it's not his movie. No. I would argue at this point in the film, Julian is using the character traits that he's been given, which mostly we don't know other than he's a math teacher, yep. <laughs> to some fruitful outcome, mm-hmm. and it's not his movie. We have yet to see that in anything that Mark Wahlberg has done other than whining and stamping his feet and demanding the hypothesis and op- objective to his scientific method for solving mankind's terrible troubles. It's, 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 it's not well done because yeah. of that. It's a miss. That's so true. let me ask you a question, though. Okay. Do you buy that in the middle of this freak out, I can't knock, do you buy, can you buy that in the middle of this girl on the med, middle of stage of a panic attack that John Leguizamo's character, Julian, would try to talk her down using math? Do you buy that? I guess at this point, because we, all we know, he's a math teacher. Right. And he's trying to deduce stuff by probability and crazy equations. Right. If I'm that woman, though, I'm telling him to go pound sand. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, there how, is- How is math a calming technique? <laughs> no. <laughs> how many people have asked themselves that question? And you know what? And it's a word problem, too. Ooh. You have two gallons of jug on this day. If you take it all on Saturday, how much are you going to have by Sunday? You remember those ones? So, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Anyway, besides the, 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 that, that little joke, it's just, it's, just, it's just all over the place. It's, it's, it, for, you're right. It's not his movie. He's just using his math teacher ability to kind of do something in the scene. But that's not even what the scene's about because the scene's about uh, trying to protect and hold up so we don't breathe in the spores. It's a fail. The, the the whole sequence is a fail. That scene when the jeep crashes is kind of cool, but then like then he's dead, and then it's just it's 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 mute at this point. Well, and the same thing. You don't really get to see him. Why we're not tight on his wrist as he cuts them? I can't tell you. Yeah, too far away. And, and then they have to take care of the, th- they have to take care of this little girl now that they want nothing to do with. Which ends up just kind of being a pain in the neck. Yeah, yeah, she's not really good either. No. Well, let's go back to our protagonist of the film. Jesus. No. I don't know. The toxin? The toxin is affecting them. Are those people killing themselves? You were with a private. What do we do? We need to do something. Just let me think. They're dying. I need a second. They released it? We're not near the road. We can't just stand here as an uninvolved observer. I need a second, okay? Just give me a second. We're not going to be one of those assholes on the news who watches a crime happen and not do something. We're not assholes. Just a second. There were children in that Elliot, room. please, tell us what to do. I need a second, okay? Why can't anybody give me a goddamn second? This scene is a mess. <laughs> okay, go, because there's plenty of... <laughs> I've had it. You can have the first swing here. 
Man, if, if Mark Wahlberg was like really good at like getting angry and like getting worked up, but like if we had seen that already, I'd be able to buy it a little bit. But man, he's like really struggling because he it seems like he's whining. Oh, yeah. He's a whiny protagonist, and Zoe Deschanel's not helping out either. And nope. then you have all these bystanders just like, that's like us. That's just like common or like extras. You know what I mean? Those aren't actors. They're just plopped into a scene. Like, it's just, it's chaotic. It's very poorly executed. It's very poorly shot. And yeah, I think it's at this point. It's, it's plants. We know it's plants at this point. Releasing spores. Here's the million dollar question. Okay. Why does he need a minute? If you heard gunshots just over the hill, I don't care what, like, I'm so sure the woman who's about ready to launch into an affair is playing her moral compass card on him, too, that they don't want to be that kind of asshole. You know what kind of asshole I don't want to be? Mm -hmm. The kind of asshole that runs into a gunfight without a gun. Yeah. I'm not going to be that asshole. So what does he need a minute for? To think about the scenario? (laughs) And here's the thing playing out in that Mm character-wise. Is he indecisive? Has he been yeah. troubled in this film with indecision? I think so. Okay, so I guess maybe then we're hitting on that. But hang on, are they married? Yeah. Okay. They are married. Yeah, you would never know. Right. <laughs> oh, it's coming up. Never mind. Yeah, keep going. So he doesn't make any progress other than a little bit later he calls himself, okay, douchebag, use a scientific method to put the facts together and rationalize. Blah, blah, and like we no, get to- No, yeah, no way. We get to the same outcome, which is like you're either going to run because there's gunshots. And then we don't even get that because what follows is he comes to, it's the wind. S- uh, stay ahead of the wind. A foot race against the wind, Jesse. Mm-hmm. And they don't. They lose in dramatic fashion. And the wind sweeps over all of them, shot beautifully as- uh, Alma's black dress blows in the wind and it covers them and nothing. That's the same wind that just hit the people on the hill and made them all kill each other and it hits them and nothing. What's he trying to calculate though? Like, is he trying to calculate the, the speed of the wind or the direction and the distance of how much time they have? Because right. the whole time he's doing that, they're wasting time when they can just be getting out of the way. <laughs> and that's entirely impossible. Or is he trying to figure out what should my response be to the gunshots after I have known that people are killing themselves left and right? Yeah, he's not Rain Man. Just, there isn't, you don't need a minute. Run. Yeah, get out of there. Run. Especially if you have a little girl in tow. Think about that on top of it. That, that's how inconsequential the little girl is, though. It's like it's like she's luggage. They don't care. Yeah. For Zoe Deschanel Alma to say, we not, we're not going to be those kind of assholes, you're going to be the kind of asshole that walks your daughter into a like gunshots? You're queen asshole. A spore fight? God, dude, like, that is yeah. a, tr- listen to me, yeah, Rye Nation, a fucking atrocious writing. Yeah, that's right. And acting. Yeah, that's, that's like, how not to make a movie? Like, watch that scene. We are rivaling Serenity, and it's all a computer algorithm about my dad's levels of stupidity yeah, now. We're kind of right there. We are. Yeah, this is like the time in the movie when that happened, too. And this pillow fight of bullshit, I don't know who the winner of those two would be, but it's going to be plenty of pillows and plenty of swings and misses. And it, I mean pillow fight because it's not a heavyweight fight. Because that, <laughs> I mean, I literally mean pillow fight. It's a pillow fight with like nightgowns and like little hats. Bullshit. Uh, in that video, uh, and we've talked about in the Shyamalan cask about his use of color, especially in Unbreakable, it's really good. Like the greens, the purples, that scene in the, in the, the train station is really well done to show the juxtaposition of color and what it represents for character. We get that in this film, I guess. The source of color in this, though, is this mood ring. 
God. Which I, I didn't think about I that. You're right. Totally forgotten about. So like the mood. First of all, I don't have the mood ring key, so I don't know what the colors are. You do know purple means horny, though. We find out. Yeah, that we later. find that out. Yeah, yeah, but it's like blue here later, and then it's like orange a little bit later, and that's supposed to communicate some deeper level theme or meaning, which in Shyamalan's earlier work typically works. It would have and did. It would work good, but this is just it's just like not registering as all at at, at all. Yeah, that kind of is mailed in. I didn't even think about that. Well, it's because right. it's in a throwaway line to the the two kids that they that they end up in tow that I guess find uh, solace in Mark Wahlberg's leadership. So they decide to stick on. No, I'm telling Wahlberg to pound sand, mm-hmm. and I'm going to make it on my own. I probably have a better chance. Mm-hmm. So they end up at this model home <laughs> to kind of refresh or look for resources, and all the food's fake. I actually kind of like, there's something comforting about model homes. They always look so well furnished and like, there's something interesting about the fake food. Yeah. But man, Wahlberg just continues on. on, I don't know. Like at at this point, he's just, the the ship's, uh, the the ship's sunk. It's treading water. And like, he's just sinking to the bottom with it. Hello. My name is Elliot Moore just going to talk in a very positive manner giving off good vibes we're just here to use the bathroom and then we're just gonna leave I hope that's okay plastic and if that wasn't enough for you (laughs) I read this article about the coast of Australia said they found large quantities of a primordial bacteria. It hadn't been around for billions of years. It just appeared in the water. It's toxic to humans. Fishermen who come in contact with it are dying. It feels kind of similar to that. With the bees disappearing, I mean, I don't know. It feels like a pattern. The nature of events like the one in Australia is that they crest and then stop. We just have to be alive when it's over. And if that wasn't enough, you needed one more scoop on the shit Sunday. If we're going to die, I want you to know something. I was in a pharmacy a while ago. There was a really good-looking pharmacist behind the counter. Really good-looking. I went up and I asked where the cough syrup was. I didn't even have a cough. And I almost bought it. And I'm talking about a completely superfluous bottle of cough syrup. That's like six bucks. Are you joking? Why is that a scene in this film? What is that? <laughs> I wonder if her question is actually dialogue or if she really meant that. Yeah. <laughs> are you joking? Like, are, is this really for real? Is that really your dialogue now? Because that's stupid. Can you mind, imagine Shyamalan on that day? Okay, guys, we gotta we gotta prep the the cough medicine scene. I know, but the use of the word superfluous is, you know, monumental. What do you say? Six dollars? Yeah. Man, I. I I think it's like $12 now if you want like a really good bottle of cough syrup. <laughs> oh gosh. Where do we go with all that? Um, well, just look at the, just like the, the tone, like this is on the surface, a disaster movie of sorts. And I'm drawn to parallel two other masterpieces compared to this. Uh, one is invasion of the body snatchers. And I, I can't believe we haven't made this comparison because it's kind of unexplained in that film, but somehow he does it expertly and it's the birds sure it's a very similar film and we kind of don't know why the birds are attacking bodega bay 
until you do a deeper dive into the surface of our characters. Yeah. Here, when you do a deeper dive into the surface of your characters, you get conversation about cough medicine. So and yeah, mood rings. Right. And it's I like that you brought that up, the birds, because that even though very subtly done and there's a lot of I'm sure yes and no to our theory on why the birds attack, but that's not the place for this. If George A. Romero did this film and they sought refuge in a model house, then it would be a statement on consumerism and the plastic nature of things and Mother Nature's revolt against that. And I would buy that. And, and it'd be and, hella gorier than this film is. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like there's even a possibility in the plastic model home to come to some crossroads or reckoning. And instead we just get that knock-kneed, stupid discussion with the plastic plant. And the sum total of all of that time that they spend in the model home on the effect of the film is literally nothing. Oh, yeah. Nothing happens other than we just walk through a They don't get home. to eat. I guess they get to go pee. It doesn't move the needle of story at all. It's just, a, like you said, filler. It's just filler because we don't know where else to change the setting, so let's go into a model home. If you go into a real home, which is about to happen in like the next sequence, they yeah. go to a house that's already occupied, mm -hmm. then you get in heightened state of anxiety, man versus man. Mm -hmm. And now you have something because now you're making a statement about how quickly man will turn on each other. So that scene that you're referring to is actually when the first, it, it's fairly shocking that like these two teens, they're just blown away by a shotgun. Cold blasted. It's ruined by Wahlberg and Deschanel and even the little girl's reaction to it. Jerry. Mm -hmm. Oh man. I yeah. do not laugh. This kid just got his head blown off and he does that. Ah. My emotions are all over the place. <sighs> this is something I'm, I'm feeling something. I'm feeling the loss of a character in a graphic fashion. This is man turning against man. We're turning to savages. And then Wahlberg does that. No, I ain't sticking around. I never get up to go to the movie. Like very rarely do I go pee, man. I'm going to get a refill on the popcorn during this. You're out. I'm out. Yeah. I don't blame you. I also think it's a little gutless to kill the kids that we barely knew. Mm -hmm. It serves a purpose of not letting there be a, it's the stormtrooper effect in star Wars. Yeah. A lot of ray guns and a lot of carnage. And mostly we don't care because they're pretty replaceable. Well, that's pretty much every character in this film kind of is, isn't mm -hmm. it? Because the three that really are in any kind of harm are never really in harm except for Betty Buckley for a moment. I think she turns on them and that gets to be, I think where there's a, a bit of interest but to shoot those two kids the way they do with the people that have already holed up in this house and their resources, that's a likely scenario. That makes sense mm -hmm. in a movie that's been devoid of a lot of cause and effect that makes coherent sense. This would happen in a film like A Quiet Place. Okay, good. Yeah. But then to let those two bite it is kind of chickening out. Why doesn't the little girl get shot? Well, that'd be pretty ballsy. Yeah. And maybe a deal breaker. And that goes back to the relationship between director and audience, but it certainly had to have been a possibility because you get what you said, the, the slow motion, Jerry's that crap. But other than the shock, it's just gratuitous. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen the player movie, the no, player, Robert Altman? Yeah. Yeah. That movie's really smart at looking 
and making fun satirically of Hollywood and its process. Like the most over-the-top, done-on-purpose-that-way love scene ever in any film is the Greta Scatchy Tim Robbins bit in that movie. And it's done gratuitously on purpose to highlight just how stupid the process is in Hollywood. And in a weird way, I kind of admire that film because it's not so ridden with self-importance that it can't like kind of give a winky-winky to us about itself. This movie is the exact opposite and suffers from what that movie is using as satire. That is such contrived, gratuitous violence for the sake of just having something to do. They kill two basically insignificant characters that are entirely disposable in a film that doesn't have any logical sequencing or events or character development. Why do we care about two people that are being killed? Because frankly, if Alma gets shot right now, I don't know if I care that much about her being shot either. And she's had significantly more screen time than (laughs) those two boys together. That's true. Uh, Just another chapter in the annals of how not to make a movie. Mm -hmm. 101. Let's get to Betty Buckley's little shack here. Betty Buckley, normally pretty good, whether it's Mr. Jardin and Carrie or the therapist in Split. What's she doing in this movie? Like, she's overacting on top of everyone else. Like, when they, that dinner scene, when they're having dinner, she's slapping the little girl, and like, you will. And then that, that scene later when she's in the hallway, you're thinking of taking my stuff. Man, what? Like, I'm watching you. You're going to kill me. Never. We would never do that. (laughs) Yeah, she's in another movie altogether. But maybe, I I don't know who's in on the joke. If Shyamalan wanted to make a B-movie schlock like The Blob or Invasion of Bioshock isn't schlock, but like that type of tarantula, the deadly mantis. Them. Them. Them is pretty good. I like them. You know what I mean, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Incredible Shrinking Man. Good. Then tell everyone and get everyone in on it. Mm-hmm. It's like he told Wahlberg and Deschanel and the cinematographer and no one else. Because even the music doesn't reflect that. The music's like this stringy, serious music. That's like probably the best, my favorite part of the movie is the music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not everyone's in on like what he's doing, if that's the intention. Do you and think the do you, I, do I, you don't, think I don't. I don't know. I don't know. You've seen it three times now at least. So. <laughs> <laughs> What's your take, though? Is that... Did, I, I think your answer is no. I think to save face in interviews and stuff, that would be the appropriate answer to say. We were making a film about a, a has-been time, a la the Poseidon Adventure or the sci-fi B films. I don't buy it. I think this is this is just... It's just schlocked across the board. Like The Betty Buckley bit is... In, man... I was like, who the hell is that? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, like Betty Buckley from like Carrie Betty Buckley. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the good news in that is she's really good in Split. She's really good in Split. You know what I mean? So this got her going back with him and got her into Split. So I, I, that's, well, that's one why I'm saying like, this is one performance and then in Split, she's really good in that. Like, yeah. I mean, but like introduced the two of them together. So allowed her to continue to work with him. And Definitely. he does like to use the same people over and over. Yeah. But well, the scene you mentioned earlier, her smashing her head into the water could be effective in another film or another sequence. And here it's almost laughable. Like, you know what I mean? Right. 
Ah, like she's got glass in her eye and in her forehead and everything. But it's just it's just ridiculous at this point. I think Shamilan actually is a little bit scared of older people too. Because mm-hmm. if you go to sun, what's it? Sunset syndrome. And what the hell's the name of that? The visit. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Betty Buckley in this, like, and she's even kind of a little bit eerie and split too. Sure. I think he's working through some issues the same way Hitchcock might work through some issues with blondes. But you would never know that watching this. No, no, you wouldn't. Yeah. But I think in a movie that's awful, her stuff doesn't make any sense. And it also is a clear acknowledgement that we don't have an active protagonist. So we have an active antagonist. So we have to have someone to like physically in the human sense oppose us. Yeah. So she shows up in some insignificant knockoff doesn't matter in the context of the film moments. But even in those moments, like watching her smack Jess's hand, it's pretty effective in just a 30 second bit watching her pace the patio outside her house. What does she say when, when she rolls up, when Wahlberg rolls up on her, like you want some of my lemon drinkers (laughs) crazy as hell. Yeah. That's not terrible. No, it's not. And probably the eeriest part in the movie because I'm not scared of wind. It's just padded by schlock. Right. Yeah. So, and again, doesn't work. If you watch just the scene, though, of her walking on the patio outside the house and then bashing her head through the glass, which actually does allow the wind then into the house. Yeah. Man, if we had a lot of time on our hands and we're pretty busy altogether, you know, doing the podcast and everything. If we had time, though. It probably would be something to recut this film with the palatable scenes. There might not be a main character. I'm just telling you that right now. But like the scenes that work and kind of put them into like maybe a 20 minute like flash reel, that might be something. Yeah. <laughs> Could make a really good trailer. People. Yeah. That looks pretty or good. Or a good short film. Yeah. Not in totality. Okay, we got to talk about the the pipe scene. So Betty Buckley has smashed all the windows, and I guess Mark Wahlberg has to take solace in the basement of this house or a room in the house. And then uh, Alma and Jess are in a shack across the way, but it's told to us in a throwaway line that that, that, that this was a pipe that they used to kind of communicate. I think it's a, like a it was a house that the, a slave owner used or, or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's literally thrown away. Mm-hmm. So they're communicating through this pipe. And this is where we have the conversation about the mood ring. And I'm like, oh, this is where the color symbology, but it like, it literally doesn't matter. She says she's horny. I was horny on that night and this and that. And then like, what does orange mean? Does orange mean love? Cause that would mean something. Right. Okay, Matt, is this the end of the film? Is this like what like resolves itself? Because this is like unbelievably like egregious, cheesy, and just like a middle finger to the rest of this film. Do them solving their marital Mar- marital bliss lack of marital bliss yeah lack of marital bliss through their through the pipe does love solve the problem of the plant spores because when then they go out and embrace it's love that wins the day and that is crazy that you asked me that because that was actually i walked finished this this morning and that's actually what i thought when they get out there and he's like if i'm gonna go down i'm gonna go down hand in hand with you and i literally said oh my god Love saves the day. I swear to God. Yeah. So I guess my answer to that is yes. <laughs> oh no, it yeah, is that, yes. Yeah, that's that's not good. That's, Love saves the day. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Let's drink. <laughs> 
Yeah, Jesse. I, I knew that would be a deal breaker for you. That is just so... You were pretty hard on this film. I I, I, I like it for the most part. Super 8, J.J. Uh, Abrams. Yeah. You about... I, I'll never forget this phone call because usually we, we call each other after we see movies to kind of say, you need to go see this or like, man, you avoid this thing. <laughs> you had called me after Super 8. This is like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's like 2010. Cal Chandler. Yeah, kind of, yeah, he's kind of Claude Rainsy. Oh, yeah, good. Um, you called me and said, oh, my God, Jesse. <laughs> how are the executives at Paramount just sitting there and just like, okay, with the ending of this film where they build the alien spaceship and then this locket that this boy has oh. before the ship can complete? It's not. It's like 99.9% complete, but then the locket that he doesn't want to give up and then he lets go of it and then it completes the ship and then the ship's able to take off. Mm-hmm. you're just like <laughs> hell no yeah that's this film but like the whole ending <laughs> if you had a dollar for every conversation between us that started off with me saying oh my god jesse <laughs> i think i'd probably say that every podcast too um yeah i know exactly what you're talking about yeah <laughs> I remember that conversation clearly yeah it's kind of ridiculous me explaining it that like the ship can't take off until the locket completes like the little kind of corner piece on like the bottom of like the rudder or whatever the hell that alien built. Love is the most powerful thing ever. Yeah. Jesse. And I, yeah. Yeah. And I'm willing to buy that. But like on film, it's just like, it's just, it, it never comes across like not schlocky. Okay. I love you. But first of all, you're not willing to buy that. That's not true, especially in film. And yeah. secondly, if it's a romance movie, then maybe. Yeah. But this isn't, unless you believe the terrible chemistry between Wahlberg and and Deschanel was what this film was about. And then... I think it's a disaster movie. I think it is too. <laughs> well, it's a disaster of, oh, if not that's, a. that's pretty good. So, yeah. That was my exact thought this morning is, oh my God, love triumphs. If these <clears throat> people had just been more loving, and the truth is they're really not that loving to each other. The reason it, it, it even became more, um, yeah, they're not at all. They, if anything, they hate each other. Kind of do. I can't She's ready to bail on This him. pipe conversation fixed all problems. I'll tell you one thing Zoe Deschanel does not stand for in her films. Okay. And that's whiny male leads. See 500 Days of Summer or this. I, I like her. She's good in that. She's good in Yes Man. I like her in New Girl. Me too. It's just like, this is just, this is not for her. No. Wait till I tell you who was in consideration and she bailed and. Thank goodness. Well, it's coming up. Okay. You're going to tell me Marianne Cotillard. No. Okay. And I, I'm willing to buy this love aspect because when you break down Shyamalan's film, once you get to the end, whether it's the cohesiveness of family or letting go of your past self so you can pass on to the afterlife or mm. the return of faith. Uh, God, those are all beautiful themes. Things, yeah, exactly. This could come across as something pretty good, but in a film that's led up to everything we've talked about for an hour now, Yikes! It's just like it's just the cherry on top of like the shit Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's just an other eye, and, and then the movie should end there. Then there's this tacked-on epilogue of her getting pregnant, and then I guess we're seeing them have a family. If I was Jess, I'd go to uh, like social services and request new parents because I would not live with these two. Because <laughs> her parents are just wiped out now, she has to live with them. Like she's the loser in this film. And then there's this. And then there's all the news footage about like how it came and went and it's the spores and the plants and anger and this and that. And everyone's coming up with their own theories. Then we get this scene at the end of the film. And I wondered to myself, did this production fly to France for one day Mm -hmm. to shoot this scene? 
or is this like recreated to look like that park in France? Well, that's a good question. I, I'm going to look it up here after this because what a waste. And I don't want the happening part two. No. I don't want... And, and then the, the final shot of the film is literally ominous clouds and wispy leaves on a tree. Ominous. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get Yeah. Get to the... I can't get to the parking lot fast enough. Man, what a botch. Like, like the, the, the film should end there with them embracing and that like, give me some dignity on the way out. So... Let's sour, let me sour mash this for a minute, please. Who is who is Shyamalan's obvious influence in his filmmaking? Career? Hitchcock. Okay, for sure. If he went by the rules that Hitchcock established in his films, when he leaves the protection of indoors to go join his estranged, essentially wife and their pseudo daughter in the middle of the windstorm, if we know earlier that Zoe Deschanel's character Alma has a terrible secret that's not just tiramisu and a few texts and maybe a phone call, but something deep and dark and like maybe she can't get pregnant. And it's because earlier in their marriage, she was pregnant, not by him. And there was a procedure and something went along or went wrong. Like, so like, you see, that's deep. That's, that's something. And that sin is what is overcome at the conjoining of those two parties in the wind at the end of the film, then I'm not saying it saves this movie because there's a lot more that would need to, that's just a life preserver in a tsunami, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. But at least then you go one of two ways and she never revealed the sin and we, the audience know it, which is a common Hitchcock technique where we know better and the characters on screen don't. Yeah. And they all die. Okay, or we make our peace with that. She spills her guts, and then even if the wind, and this is very birds-like, when the women in that movie become the proper women per the animal kingdom's view of domestic roles, then the attacks stop. Mm-hmm. And then Hitch gets out. Then we get, then <laughs> in an embrace with the daughter that they don't have, that now they do have, who doesn't have parents, you've completed the circle. Yeah. But no, instead we get whatever you just talked about. And then her sitting there as he's gone back to work and they're sending, they're calling her, her niece. Now they're calling Jess the niece, even though it's not by blood. And we're watching her wait for the pregnancy test to come back with two stripes. And then sitting there on the terrace or the stoop of the steps outside her house, waiting for him to come home from the bus stop, like giddy with excitement. And then an embrace. It's, (sighs) But that's not, and that should be the that could be the end of the film. Yeah. But no, we go to France and have the same conversation that we had in Central Park or wherever we were to start the movie. The chopsticks. And yeah. Yeah. And now we get Part the two. onset of wind in France. The movie doesn't even know when to end itself. Yeah. I don't want to dwell too much back on the the rest of the film, but the 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 daughter, uh, the little girl Jess, she's like a, I don't know she's not mute, but she doesn't like talking when she's uncomfortable or like there's that whole thing she has to work through. So she's kind of like silent most of the film. Wouldn't it be something to kind of see her like Mm -hmm. really open and something at the end? She's still pretty mute, which is why I fear for her safety living with these two people. And he knows how to do that. He does. Consider Mel Gibson as Graham at the end of science. And he does that with no dialogue. It's, and it's a rotating that, that shot's brilliant. The end of that's brilliant because it's a rotating camera. And we see the changing of the seasons cut to a shot of him in the bathroom. 
and we see him put the jack and we get it. No dialogue. That and then also, if you wanted to let Jess speak, we see Mel Gibson at the end of that film breaking down and asking for God's forgiveness and help to rescue his son. He, but he does he doesn't even need that. Like, I know. Th- so, that's like, why that film's even better. Either way, yeah. he knows he knows how to do that scene. Yeah. And yet, nope. Yeah. We just stand in the wind <laughs> and hug. Gone with the wind. Speaking of, okay, I'm on IMDb. I went to the the, the happening page uh, and we're at filming locations and they filmed in Jardines de Louvre in Paris, France. So oh my God, they really did. They did. Why? <laughs> did some money to spend, I guess. Yeah, part of that $45 million. God, that's crazy. There's really... Well, let's talk about that here. So 40, $48 million. $48 million budget. $163 million worldwide gross. So it wasn't a bomb. It made money, but like those were people that went to see it once and then told everyone to stay the hell away. Yeah, uh, that was when he was still getting people to go see his movies just because of who he was, his yeah. name. <clears throat> now, Shyamalan did take responsibility for how it turned out and blamed it on an inconsistent tone. So at least he's able to see his faults and what he did. Man, Mark Wahlberg had the best quote of this. So Mark Wahlberg said, Amy Adams dodged a bullet by not being in this film. Oh, can you imagine? Mm-hmm. And she's great. I wonder if she would have been able to make this turd somewhat polishable. Maybe not. He said, it's a really bad movie. Fuck it. It is what it is. And you can't blame me for not wanting to play a science teacher. At least I wasn't playing a copper. (laughs) That's what Mark Wahlberg said. That's what he said. That's awesome. (laughs) Fuck it. It's a bad movie. And you know what? I was thinking about I was thinking about Mark Wahlberg at the tail end of this film as he was walking to Zoe Deschanel's pregnancy news in his overly baggy jeans. You're allowed maybe like one or two of these in your career. You can't have a bunch of them. You see, that's what did Travolta in. Because like Travolta had that period in the 80s after Blowout where he did like eight of these in a row. And then rebounded with Pulp Fiction. Had, see, a, yeah. had a nice little rebound and then did that. And then it ended again. Mark Wahlberg's, whether it's Fear, Boogie Nights. the per- I like The Perfect Storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're allowed to have a couple of these. Everybody does if you make enough movies. And I think that's why he's he was able to kind of recover from this because he probably followed this up with, uh, I think the film he did after this was The Fighter, which I like. Great movie. David O. Russell, yeah. So, and Zoe Deschanel followed up the following year with 500 Days of Summer. So, the only one who didn't recover was Shyamalan because he followed this up with The Last Airbender. So, we haven't done this in a while, but I have a good one for you. We haven't done the corollary in film and basketball, the Rimrock bit in a while okay but i'm gonna do it with you right now okay i'm gonna take you to a place that you probably don't even know so i'm gonna take you in the nba time machine for a minute good yeah m night shamylan is two specific basketball players in the nba to me okay the first one was on that Steve or that phoenix suns team with charles barkley and uh kevin johnson and Oliver Miller, those teams that were pretty good, but ran into the Bulls like everybody did back then, but mm-hmm. were, had a, had like a th- two to three year window. Yeah, there was a cat on that team named Richard Dumas. Mm. Maybe it was Dumas. I think at that, no, yeah. I think it was Dumas. D U M A S. Yeah, Dumas. Yeah, kid was a stud, mm-hmm. riddled with potential. You could see it. He could shoot. He could run. He could jump. Think like the best version of Sean Kemp able to play like Sean Kemp at distance, a tear on the boards. Nice. Just an absolute monster. Yeah. And 
he just could never realize his full potential to the point where Barkley in interviews has called about and said, look, this guy's the key to us winning. If this dude can find a way to give me 16 points and pull me 10 boards, we're going to beat those guys. Yeah. And when the chips are down, he was nine and five. And you could just see it, Jesse, mm-hmm. like chiseled, carved, like the guy was. Yeah. That's one. The okay. second example is Michael Ray Richardson, who played for the Nets, among others. Okay. This guy was a guard, scoring machine, but as much basketball he scored was also as much cocaine as he scored. Yeah. And could, ne- like, through rehab several times, John Lucas worked with him. That's kind of what launched part of the John Lucas Clinic to help get, in, like, NBA guys clean. Michael Ray Richardson had so much potential. I don't know this, but I think he might have OD'd. Mm. I'm not sure on that, but there's something that's like clicking in my mind that said maybe, so I don't know. You guys can look it up. Okay. The promise of both of those two and sometimes realized in the potential kept me watching Richard Dumas most recently, which is a generation ago, essentially now, but Mm -hmm. that's Shemilan. Oh yeah. And like about the time Richard Dumas cost the Suns, not really, but had a huge hand in the Suns not being able to get over the bulls. Like everybody couldn't back then was about the time the next season for 30 games he was magnificent and then once again Mm -hmm. so we get split yeah and then we get to the playoffs and glass shows up and in this case he forgets how to rebound and doesn't (laughs) even get off the bench you know and so i know what you exactly what you mean and you know the sad thing about it the next film that he makes which i don't know what it's going to be i haven't followed him no idea he's a pretty used to be a decent follow on some of the social media stuff but i haven't seen him in a while I'm going to be there opening night. Oh, yeah. Because this guy, at the end of the day, Richard Dumas has some of the most amazing plays I've ever seen in my life, like rebound at the second hash mark <clears throat> off a missed three-pointer, two-hand stuff over a guy, like just beautiful stuff. Mm-hmm. He yeah. still has Unbreakable. Yeah, that's him. He has Six Sense. The Six Sense you know is I mean? a really great film. Signs is amazing. So as much as we're saying that we're liars because we'll be like <laughs> no uh, of course well, yeah. we're, we're loyal to the film cause because the other thing too like can you said i'll never forget the phone call with super eight jesse oh my god like right remember the other one yeah was split yeah oh my god jesse i think you even called me with super eight and i, I hadn't seen it i think i still went to go see it because I, I, I gotta see it for myself too you know what i mean so i mean it's not always call and telling these tales of woe sometimes it's <laughs> pure unadulterated joy yeah yeah, sometimes it's, it's Richard Dumas. <laughs> sometimes Richard Dumas. All right, I have some questions for you. Um, what's your favorite tasting note of the happening? I guess I, I not the lion sequence, but I it is I do like watching some of these people kill themselves in that interesting way. Like oh, I forgot the one with the they they take the cop's gun. Well, that's a good one. And they take it like person it to person. Yeah, yeah, that that seems well done. I don't know if I like the people jumping off the skyscraper at the construction site or the chopstick in my neck. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both pretty shocking to watch. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, one of those two. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I have to pick the same thing because, like, tonally, like that that fits into a film that I think he wanted to make: disaster, thriller, supernatural. And then it's just when you get into the real meat and potatoes of this thing, where you're just like, "Yikes!" Like this yeah. ain't this ain't the same thing. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, man, we have a, a King's Ransom to pick from for this. Oh, my God. 
I need to take a shot of the Weller's uh, Antique 107, which you don't want to do. You want to sip on this particular type of bourbon. This is, um, well, it's high alcohol proof, but it's a very fine bourbon. You're not, not supposed to be just shooting it down. You're right. like, enjoy it, have company with people, talk about the happening. <laughs> right. What scene is that in this film for you? For me, it's the, the two kids getting killed at that house. What could be a shock? I love that you mentioned George Romero because Romero would handle that scene with such poise and expertise. And it's just ruined by Mark Wahlberg and crew by how they respond to it. It's even shot well because I don't think I want to see like the heads explode. It's kind of done like off to, off to the side. It's just how it's handled is just so shoddily. Yours is good. Um, I probably would pick that one too, but just for the hope that this stirs conversation among Rye Nation, I'm going to choose the pharmacist monologue from Mark Wahlberg. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say that only because there's one little interesting note at the very end of that, which I didn't pick up until you played the sound. Mm. She says, thank you. So it gives me pause for one moment. Does she know him so well that she knows that none of that's true? Because it's delivered like none of it's true. And he's saying that to forgive her and let her off the hook. It could be. And if not, and she's just saying, thank you. And that really did happen. Then that makes, so either way you want to go with that. Um, that's what I'm going to throw out there. Okay. And that may not even be because it's entirely negative. It has the potential to be another disastrous moment and <laughs> an, a Bible of disastrous <laughs> moments, but I'm going to go with that. Okay. I, and it, I wouldn't have chosen that until you played that sound. And I don't know how I missed the thank you. Maybe because I was throwing up over myself when I watched it the first time. That's interesting. Cause I don't but know. She says, do you have that? Can you play that again? Yeah. Uh, cause yeah, here, hang on a second. Yeah. The soundboards. Awesome. Beautiful. If we're going to die, I want you to know something. I was in a pharmacy a while ago. It was a really good looking pharmacist behind the counter. Really good looking. Kind of sounds like he's making I it up a little bit. Huh? Where the cough yeah. syrup was. I didn't even have a cough, and I almost bought it. I almost I'm bought it. About a completely superfluous bottle of cough syrup, which that's like six bucks. Like fifteen Are you now. Thank you. Hmm. I know you like that. I don't know if the thank you saves it for me. Yeah. Because this is an interesting scene because they're just standing in the middle of a field. Yeah. Having wind blow over them. And I don't know why they're just kind of standing still. To me, this is a film where they should be moving the entire... Like, Quiet Place is a perfect example of this. This, You know what's weird about this? Yeah. If this is a good movie, yeah. that, that bit has the potential to be so loaded, you and I could talk about it for weeks. Mm -hmm. Like, for that's one of those forever discussions. Yeah. The thank you is an acknowledgement of his grace or levity or I don't know what, but in this movie and all of these swings and misses and rim rocks and Michael Ray Richardson's and Richard Dumas and all of the nonsense. It's an interesting moment. It doesn't save it for me either. Yeah. Well, cause think about it. Cause like the scene before this, those kids got their heads blown off Yeah. and they run away from that run through the field. Stop. It's a shot of them just standing there, and then the heads turn. He tells this medicine story. She says, thank you. Why did we stop? Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's it's bizarre to me. I'll really give myself a headache just trying to, like, <laughs> think of that. But, like, I know what you mean. In signs, this is brilliant. Yeah. This is the couch scene. Right. Right. 
I'd much rather just talk about that movie than, than this one. Okay, Matt, is there a master distiller on The Happening? I'd like to give it to John uh, Leguizamo because when he's in it, he's he's okay. He doesn't sound as schlocky as, as Mark Wahlberg. I actually think he's a really good actor, too. Uh, oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. And then he, he dies 30 minutes in, so he gets out of this thing, like, so he doesn't have to stick around for the complete runtime. So I think he kind of wins. I have to give Master Distiller to Amy Adams, too, because she avoided not being. Oh, is in, that who it was going to be? Yeah. Oh, she avoided not being in this train wreck. So she wins. Okay, I'm going to give mine to Alan Rook, who most of you know is Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He's the principal. Because Cameron grew up to be the principal. That's awesome. That's just me being stupid. Well, at least I don't, I don't know who I would give it to. I might maybe Betty Buckley for her face through the window. At least Alan Rook's only in one scene and he got out quick too. K- kudos to his agent. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Alan Rook. Yeah. It's just, it's lingering around in this film was where the damage is done. Like you don't want to be like hanging out for more than like 30 minutes. Plants just aren't terrifying. They're just not. By the nature of this cast, we have Rocket, Well, Call, Single Bear on Top Shelf. So wait a minute. Let's compare. We've at this film, like we have four terrible films that I think we've reviewed so far. Well, we've had (laughs) Serenity, okay, Battlefield Earth, Batman eighty nine, Batman eighty nine. I mean, no, um, Batman and Robin. Sorry, not Batman eighty nine. Batman ninety two. What is that one? Eighty nine. Yeah. Dude, I almost blew a head gasket. Sorry, no, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that to you. <laughs> head gasket. That's what the cyclists say. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so maybe we should. Yeah, those are pretty bad films. Do you, I may be missing one. Maybe. I don't know. No, I think that's about it. When is Batman and Robin? What year was that? Uh, 97. I'm sorry. 97. Yeah, no, I didn't mean to do 80, 90. I'm you're sorry. okay. Okay, so ni- Batman 97 and then those other three, yeah. including this one this mm-hmm. week. Those are all rock gut. Is this the worst of those four? <sighs> I still got to give the benefit of the doubt to Serenity because at least it was coherent for half. <laughs> yeah. And we kind of liked it. I don't think I liked any of this. As soon as Mark Wahlberg starts going on about the bees, I'm like, whoa, like pump the brakes. And then 30 minutes in when uh, when I told you I bailed the first time, uh, yeah, this is pretty bad. Battlefield Earth is bad, but I think it, it knows it's kind of bad. Yeah. I don't know what Shyamalan knows in this one. And I think Joel Schumacher knew that movie was bad, too, because of the campy style he was making. Mm-hmm. I think these people were trying to make an okay film, right? and it just stumbles across itself. Yeah, this is pretty bad. It might be the worst. This think, was this was That was tough for me to watch last night. I've always said that this is one of my five worst films of all time, and at this point, I feel very solid in that same critique. I think this is the worst film we've done on Rice Smile because Oof. Battlefield Earth knows that there's plenty of nonsense in there, and at least Travolta has the balls to go there to go all the way with it. Oh, you see that? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to talk about that. He goes there with his performance. Mm-hmm. You want lunch, man, animal? <laughs> yeah. And when Wahlberg does it, I, like I don't know if he's trying to be good or this is the like the, the way his character is, but it. He's just so egregious. It's, and I, he's bad, and I don't disagree with any of that. Zoe Deschanel is just as bad in this film for mm-hmm. me. I think this might be my leader in the clubhouse. Sure, I will watch Serenity yeah. ahead of either of those, uh, any of those other three films. Yeah, because at least the first half's pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. This is the worst film we've reviewed, and 
I don't even think I have to work that hard to convince myself of that statement. No, I, don't, I wouldn't even argue with you to unconvince you of that because, yeah, it's... So we've reviewed how many films now? Essentially 80? This is 77. We've reviewed 77 films, and we have a leader in the clubhouse with the worst film we've done is The Happening. Yeah. If you had said that at the beginning, I probably would have said, yeah, that's going to be one of the worst. I didn't know it would be the worst if we had known Battlefield Earth would be included and Batman and Robin. I'll take that movie over this one. Oh, I'd much rather watch miles. I'd much rather watch Batman and Robin. Yeah, this movie's bad, man. Yeah. Real bad. Yeah, it's a it's a chore. I've now ten dollars for that first ticket, and I bought the second ticket, and then I bought the dates tickets. That's that's at least thirty dollars. Um, at least I got the free ticket to Incredible Hulk, but I missed <laughs> out on Zach and Mary. Yeah, you did. Uh, I did watch parts of this on TV. And I think 2013, so at least that was just on, on cable. So, like, whatever whatever that cost. And then I had to rent it last night. Mm-hmm. $4. Mm-hmm. It's like almost. And you're into like 50 bucks on this, brother. Yeah, for this film. it's too much. Wow. Like, yeah, it's, that's like, I can't watch it ever again. I bet if I gave you 50 bucks for Christmas or your birthday and said, go pick yourself a, a nice Blu ray or DVD or 4K, you wouldn't choose the happening. I You've do. done it, and you don't even have a copy on your shelf to show for it. But, <laughs> That's funny that you brought that up because I like collecting like directors' filmographies. Like I have a, like most of the Coen Brothers films, most of Tarantino's. I'm having a real hard time trying to buy Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, though. I have all of Carpenter. I have a lot of Spielberg. I bought The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable Signs, The Village. I stopped at Lady in the Water, and then I saw this. I was like. This killed Shyamalan for me. I I have never seen The Last Airbender. I hear it gets worse. Yes. After Earth, this is supposed to be atrocious. Yeah. And it wasn't until he did The Visit, and I didn't even see that in the theater. And I always look at Rotten Tomatoes scores because that's a kind of a good gauge of at least how mm-hmm. a film's going to play. I agree. And that film had, I think, a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it like made me, I was like, hmm, that's not terrible. Right. <laughs> that's better. So I saw it. And that's a, that's a pleasant surprise. And then Split is just like, I think I said on the Split episode, that's my second favorite of all his films, and I think I still stand by that. Sure. This film nearly killed Shyamalan for me. Like, this was such a deal breaker that I was like, I'm not even going to bother with any of that. And I'm usually a guy that bothers with director's stuff, not me. I almost wonder if with what you just said, Last Airbender and After Earth or two that we probably should see just to continue the precipitous fall from grace that this man is... <clears throat> Dead set on completing without a parachute. We'll have to Can do. The, it, Jesse, we'll have to do a Shyamalan. Is it Are possible? those worse? Yeah, it, I mean, really? I hear, There's I, no way, man. I hear. Look, the argument that everybody saw that against the Last Airbender was it wasn't the comic or the cartoon. I didn't watch the cartoon. Did you? Mm-mm. Okay, so that's not going to be in play for me. But a passion project for Will Smith and his son. Yikes. <laughs> By Shemilan, the auteur Shemilan in an action. Oh, yeah, shit. that sounds rough. That does. So we'll have to come back to Shyamalan because I want to talk about The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. That film's amazing, too. I want to talk about Signs. I'd like to talk about The Village. Maybe we should talk about those two films. Maybe too. we could build a cask that's movies that everybody either loved or hated that we have never seen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so we could, like, with those two, because they're not going to be good. No, that'll be. Wild. I know they won't. They, there's those are not going to be good films. Well, but maybe we could find one that's good yeah, that we haven't seen. Yeah, let's find one more. That De Palma film, that Obsession movie that we were. That one oh, about, oh, Obsession, yeah, with Cliff Robertson. We yeah. should throw that. Yeah, in we'll there. do that one. Yeah, that'd be interesting. 
Yeah, this has been this has been a hell of an episode just because this film is just flabbergasting to me. And yeah. I've listened to some podcasts cover this and it's unanimous. It's just like it's like a fever dream. Mm-hmm. I can't believe this is the same man that made Unbreakable. But somehow it is. It is. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's 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 wrap up this episode uh, with a little nightcap. Okay, usually I let the music play on, but like for this film, it it's a good score. I don't think it, it's it doesn't deserve to be in this movie, right? Put that in something much better. What's his guy that James Newton Howard? Yeah. I, I love him. Like he he does good scores. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's he did too much effort for. Yeah, and then when you compose score, you're watching the film when you compose, so you kind of know what you're putting the music to. What was he thinking? Like, oh my god, like M. <laughs> This guy's buttering my bread. I guess I have to do this. Which, that's interesting, though, because I think he bailed after that because I don't think he did any of the other scores after that because he didn't do Glass and Split. He didn't do Split? Mm-mm. Okay. All right. So we did this last week, and I know it's been only about a couple short days since we've last seen each other. But, Matt, have you watched anything recently that uh, you'd like to recommend or not recommend? Yeah, it's not something new, but... Um was babysitting this week, my daughter, which just means being a dad, I think, not babysitting, right? Hanging out. Stupid thing to say. <laughs> babysitting. Anyway, we're hanging out. Yeah. And we decided we we're going to watch a movie, so we popped in or queued up the Goonies. Um, Man, Jesse, and I know that this is a movie that you really have enjoyed, so let's not do this, but, um, dude, that was not good. It was a little rough for you. Yeah, a lot of the criticism that I heard around Uncut Gems is it was two hours of just at 11 yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought that the same criticism would apply to this. But the story in that to me is just so silly. Like I, I was having a hard time keeping Ava even going in it. She just wasn't having it either. And um, little short round guy from Indiana Jones that's in this movie too. I don't know what happened to that kid because those are two pretty big movies that he had back to back. Just, you just stop acting as a kid. You know what maybe, I mean? Yeah, maybe just got tired of it. Yeah. Um, I think on principle, a bunch of kids in pursuit of a pirate ship and the treasure to save the family is a good start. But that's about the best I can do with it. That movie has not aged well for me. And the character that, as much as I just said, short round guy, whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Dude, that chunk character is awful. <laughs> it's awful. That kid... <laughs> fucking somebody kick him in the ass no! that he is terrible so <laughs> i'm sad to say that because i liked the goonies sure, that was sure. a movie that i liked as a kid and yeah. that i thought you know what ava we have some time let's check this out so i wonder I'm if i'm not doing the goonies i should do an, like a science experiment with you because i wonder because i watched that film pretty regularly maybe every three years Actually, just watched it a couple months ago. Oh, really? And I've, I saw it in the theater. They did it in the theater um, last year, the year before. I went and saw it. I have a real good time with that. It's just about, you know, adolescence and getting into adventure. Like, right. I much prefer something like that to, like, Stranger Things. And it's, like, regurgitating that idea yeah. in a different form. I I, I wonder if, if, it, if it, there's a long gap between you seeing things, if it, like, impacts its viewing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If there's too much time not seeing it. 
Okay, so I'm gonna say you're right. Here's yeah. why. Yeah. There's a movie that I loved, la 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 loved as a kid growing up. That's awful. The Golden Child. Oh yeah, Eddie Murphy. Yeah. God, I loved that film. Ah 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 ah. I want the knife like that. I love that film, mm-hmm. and it came on. That movie is hell e. awful. And so you know, you grow up, and unfortunately, I think when we've spent as much time talking about this piece of entertainment because that's what this is mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time talking and decoding and trying to monetize entertainment for ourselves and and stuff right sure it's sometimes a curse because you get so how do i say it snobby yeah and i'm not i, I will I, I i i'll admit it yeah i'm a snob so the goonies didn't play well I have an interesting balance because as I mentioned last week and I watch, try and watch five new things a week, but ever once like in that span, I try to throw something in there from the shelf. And usually if I bought it, 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 it deserves time in the rotation yeah. just to kind of keep it going. Cause I did that again this week uh, with my choices. I rewatched uh, Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring. Is that number two? That's the first one. First one. That's twin towers is number yeah, two, right? Yeah. What a fun, phenomenal piece of filmmaking that whole trilogy is. And we have to cover that trilogy. And when we do that, that's going to be on like the Star Wars level. We're going to need some guests to help us figure all the lore and all that. Because that's a that's a big task. Sure. Yeah. Peter Jackson knocks that thing out of the park. That first injury is... It's right when CGI became like overused and just ridiculous because the the force perspective with the hobbits and the miniatures and the costuming and the art direction and the use of C- it's brilliant and that cast is pitch perfect. That's a great first entry. It's 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 kind of my unanimous favorite. They're all good. Mm-hmm. I think that one might be my favorite. So yeah. I, I come back to that one. I, I like to give myself gaps. So every five years, I come back to Lord of the Rings. And when I watch it, I just have this experience of like, Jesus, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. So I watch that. And then a film, I don't know if you've seen this. This might warrant talking about on the podcast. You know I have this chart out here. And right now I'm going through the crime thriller section. There was a film on here I hadn't seen. Uh, One False Move with Bill Paxton and Billy Bob Thornton. So it's a story about this crime this heist gone wrong that takes place in los angeles and then the people involved she lives in arkansas so they're heading off there avoiding the law trying to get there bill paxton is uh, a sheriff up there and then the people in la know that they're heading there so he gets in tow with these la cops so he keeps trying to bill paxton trying to figure out that or prove to himself that he's a worthy cop of this cause. Well, Billy Bob Thornton's kind of like the gangster kind of guy. And he wrote the helped write the film. This was like like his first big thing. I looked. This is like pre-Tombstone and like Sling Blade. No kidding. Billy Bob Thornton, yeah. Huh. It's kind of noir-y. There's like this like kind of like guitar-y, like almost sax, like synth score. Like it's almost like neo-noir. I love Bill Paxton. Man, R.I.P. That was a hard one for me. Uh this is a great role for him. I had never heard of this film or seen it, but I loved it. Like okay. I thought it was pretty good. Maybe not top shelf, but like pretty unique for like an indie neo crime thriller. Sounds good. You have me interested. And Billy, one false yeah, move. Yeah, one false move. Yeah. So yeah, check that out. I had to rent that one too. <laughs> it's okay. Not everything's on streaming. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I think I'm I'm tapped into all the like outlets for for the streaming, but 
Yeah, not, not not some of these ones. So those are the weekly recommend. Go watch Fellowship of the Ring because it's amazing. Yeah. And check out One False Move if you're looking for something new. And maybe if you don't want to do that, go back and revisit some of that stuff that you liked as a kid. And just to see how maybe it's aged. Like we both talked about E.T. And I thought that was kind of a pleasant surprise and that we didn't hate it as much as we thought we were yeah, going I was, to. I was pretty surprised. It's that, you know, I mean, we the review was the review, but... I thought that was going to be just chagrin after, oh my God, how much longer do we have to go? And it wasn't anywhere even near that. Yeah. Again, I'm not ready to do it again tomorrow, but (laughs) like that's been a fun revisitation. Yeah. Did they still hold up critically? Sure. Because a movie that I know we talk about, man, I feel like it's like the fourth week in a row we've done this. I can't wait to do Die Hard when we get to that. Maybe it's coming up. Maybe it is. Yeah. Is that a teaser? Maybe it's a teaser. Anyway... Because we have to push the Nolan cask back because it got delayed another two weeks. So, so is it August 14th now? It's August. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're not, it's not going to make it this summer, dude. They're going to push. Well, it technically that's all summer is over at that point. Just but, gonna, I think they're going to push it to the holiday season now. But that's room for us to do something that we've been talking about. So Regal's opened up though. Mm-hmm. And they're doing some like we're going to, um, I think, get Jaws re-released on the silver screen. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, hell yeah is right. <laughs> I'm there. So we delivered the bomb. <laughs> Tindalin delay. Drink to your scars. Gosh, like it, it, it's, it's, this podcast is so interesting because it's like a little mini time capsule on air for us to listen to. Like literally a year ago, we're sitting here and I was in the Jaws tank top as we talk about Jaws. And that was a great episode. Like go listen to that one if you kind of want that breakdown on, on Jaws. But. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I I I agree. Go revisit stuff as a kid because some stuff is just like yikes, or some, or just put your brain in that head of being a kid again. There's a film I like, and I know it's not a good movie. It's called Baby's Day Out. It's written by John Hughes, and it's almost like a baby with like Home Alone when he gets abducted by these crooks. Joe Montaigne is one of them, and Joe Pantoliano. I loved that movie as a kid, and I kid you not, I watched it a few years ago, and I I died laughing. It was like I was a kid again. So it's okay to put yourself in that 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 headspace too. You know what I love about it? Yeah. I love that somehow in the last five minutes of this wow hour and forty five minute long podcast so far, Joe Pantoliano has worked his way into our podcast twice. Wow! How about that? Yeah. And we didn't even talk about Bound or Memento or The Matrix. What in the hell? <laughs> That's cool, isn't it? It's pretty good. I like Joe Pantoliano. Sure, yeah. Yeah, he's a great little. He's kind of Claude Rainsy too. Yeah. Excellent. This has been fun talking about the hap. Or I guess it hasn't really been fun, but the, the trying to fun talking about trying it. to work through the frustrations are always interesting and fun. Therapeutic. We're gonna wrap up this cask and then get on to much greener pastures with something I guess we kind of teased out just a second ago. But uh, we have one more from 2003. Now this is interesting. I think this concept is great, mm-hmm. and I haven't seen this one in a while. But it's notoriously on a lot of bad lists. Yeah. So this is the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with Mr. Sean Connery. Welcome to The Rock. Isn't that this film? No, that's that's The Rock. Oh, yeah, that's The Rock. On this film, <laughs> That's a joke, everyone. Jeez. He plays Alan Court. Well, so essentially, it's just a film with literary characters making an Avengers team to yeah. take on a baddie. Brilliant Great idea. idea. I and guess it was... And who's the bad guy? I don't even, I can't even remember, actually. I remember the lineup. It's Invisible Man, it's Jekyll and Hyde, it's Dorian Ca- Gray. Captain Nemo, Dorian Gray, and Mina from Dracula. So good. Somehow this movie is just so bad that this director has never worked again, and Sean Connery says, I'm done acting. And it made him retire. 
Well, we're going to delve into it. We're going to delve into it based on the graphic. And we're going to talk about Alan Moore next week. Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> what a weirdo. Hey, speaking of names from the past that showed up this week, when I was looking, I was channel surfing mm-hmm. to get to the happening, and I saw Capone. Oh, with Tom Hardy. Do you know who directed that? Josh Trank. Josh Trank. Yeah. Interesting. I hear that movie's not good, though. Oh, it <laughs> didn't have good reviews, but Josh Trank makes his return, sort of. I guess. We'll see if he makes a Shyamalan type of return. What could have been? You can watch Fantastic Four on Disney Plus now. If you can stomach it, God, that would that movie would fit pretty good into this cast. But no, pass Le- on that and go watch Chronicle, everyone. No, we got we got to do League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because it's actually on Hulu and I don't have to pay for it. <laughs> okay, so you're gonna come over. We're gonna watch it and then just kind of maybe it'll be pleasant. Remember when we did the DC Rocket and we were surprised by Birds of Prey? It actually was pretty decent. Yeah, maybe this will be pretty decent. But I. <laughs> I ain't holding my breath, man. Either. Excellent. Until next week. Until next week. Cheers. I got to get going. I got to go run away from some wind spores. I don't know. They're probably going to outrun me, though. Yeah. I'm going to pray to God that sooner or later someone makes a script against Mother Nature that gives Mother Nature a face that matters. That's not some quippy, quick one-liner. It's just my call to the ethers and gods of filmmaking. You know what I like? I like Twister. You know who's in Twister? Bill Paxton. Paxton. I like the song Twisted by Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham, too. Matter of fact, I was listening to it on the way over. Not a joke. Excellent. We'll see you all next week. Everybody, have a great week. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to leave us a comment at Productions at gmail.com. The Happening is property of 20th Century Fox and UTV Motion Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. I hear you whispering, planning on stealing something. No, ma'am, we're not. Plan on murdering me in my sleep. What? No.